We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Alrighty, everybody. Just want to let you guys know on today's Setting the Pace, in the first segment you'll be hearing an interview with Michael Focci and Chris Copeland that took place on Monday evening around 7.30. We recorded the second part of this podcast at 5.15 on Wednesday afternoon. So hope you guys enjoyed today's show, and we'll uh, let you get to it. The Indiana Pacers. Reggie from the wing. to the big fella, fake shoots, and hits! Ten seconds to play. Seven. Here's a three by Oladipo. Oh, right. He hit it! Victor Oladipo from three-point range. 18.7 seconds left. Miller for three, and he got it. Reggie Miller with a clutch tray and a steal. Miller retreats to the three-point line. Ladies and gentlemen of the Setting the Pace podcast, I would like to welcome former Indiana Pacer fan favorite, Chris Copeland. Chris, how are you today? Good, man. How are you? I'm doing great. So, Chris, on behalf of Pacer Nation, we want to wish you a, a happy belated birthday. How'd the birthday go? Birthday was great, man. I got to spend it with some family and some friends. Was, uh, couldn't ask for – it was quiet one, which is – couldn't ask for better people to be around. It was great. Hey, sometimes that's all you need. So, Chris, talking about your NBA career, I mean, you had a pretty tough route to the NBA, but that is why I give you all the credit in the world, because after four years at the University of Colorado, you know, you go undrafted, and then you end up with stints with the D-League, uh, Spain, the Netherlands, Germany, and Belgium before the NBA came calling. Chris, was there ever a part of you that thought that call to the NBA might never happen, and what was it like when it actually did happen? 
Uh, of course, yeah. You always have your doubts, man. I think uh, it's just one of those things where we're all human, man. You know, every day doesn't feel the same. And I think, um, you know, I was fortunate to have, you know, the right people around me to continue to push me and stick with me through. through, and through. I, I was molded as a young and to believe in myself. And uh, that helped me fight through dark times. And I was fortunate and blessed to, 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 get, there, to get there one way or another. Oh, definitely. I can't even imagine what that chip on your shoulder must have been like having to go through all throughout Europe. But when you finally did make a roster, it was with the Knicks. And it was a really good team, a team that actually won 54 games and the last Knicks team to make the playoffs. Uh, major veteran presence and star presence with Carmel Anthony, Amari Stoudemire, Jason Kidd, who would actually end up being your coach later on, and many other greats. But what was that locker room like, and what are the specific lessons that a rookie can take away from those type of veterans? Uh, I mean, how to manage uh, living in, you know, playing in, in the market that is New York. Uh, you know, I, was, I was fortunate to, to, you know, obviously they all, all took me under the wing, but it was, it was great to just watch, you know, how people handle themselves as professionals, whether it be Jason Kidd getting into the ice tub every day and, um, you know, certain guys, how they dress, they, they took, you know, they're real, they're consummate professionals um, in different ways. You know, it was, it was awesome for me to watch guys and see why they made it for so many different reasons, whether it be eating habits or, um, you know, how they treated people. I thought it was, it was awesome for me to see as a, as a young player. I would imagine. So I can't argue with that. And Chris, uh, recently saw you on TMZ real quick being asked about the James Dolan situation of selling the team. I'm a believer that, that it would be- that's crazy. Oh. <laughs> I didn't even know. I haven't seen the video. I remember oh, when it wow. came out. I, I checked oh, it out. Boy. I'm a believer that I think it would be great for the NBA to have the Knicks be relevant again. Now, if James Dolan isn't going to sell the team, then what else can they do to, to get back to relevance? Because you know what that crowd's like. The Garden is rocking, win or lose. But if the Knicks can be good again, it's just good for the NBA. Look, man, basketball, I won't speak on the Dolan in particular, but, uh, you know, basketball, it comes in waves. You have your, you have your good years, your bad years. Um, no team is just dominant every year. Like, you know, you have, you have your dynasty years, and then you have your fall-offs, and you rebuild, and right now they're rebuilding. So they're trying to put the right pieces together. They got some good, some good guys um, on the roster. They have great management. They have, um, you know, Allen Houston is a, a guy I respect to the, to the utmost. Um, so they have some great basketball minds. Um, you know, what, um, Christian, there's a bunch of guys. I'm not going to go down the list, but, um, you know, they're, they're in great hands. So I think they'll be fine. It's just sometimes it takes a little bit longer than people would like. Um, but they just got to stick with it. And that's part of, you know, being real loyal, diehard fans, which are the people in New York. Um, they're, they're, they're built for it. They'll weather the storm. And I think next year they'll, they'll have a great year. I think so. They will be back. But one team that was not rebuilding came calling looking for your services, and that was the Indiana Pacers. Because after, uh, after your time with the Knicks, you joined the Pacers because they were coming off of an Eastern Conference Finals run and a team that would return to face LeBron James in the Conference Finals. Can you tell us what that Pacer team was like and how it was playing under a guy like Frank Vogel, whom, Frank Vogel, whom I have a lot of respect for? Oh, yeah. Vogel, I love him to death, man. I think he's an incredible coach, but even better person. And I think that's what it's all about. I love playing for him. Um, he's a guy I could not only obviously learn basketball from, but, you know, we could talk about it. So I have, I have the utmost respect for Vogel. Um, the, the, my teammates were great. You know, we talk about the team as a whole. You know, we had veteran leadership. We had young talent. We had real balance. Um, it's one of the best teams I was, I was ever a part of. And um, I was really fortunate to have forged a lot of friendships there that, that are with me to this day. 
Oh, for sure, man. That was that one team that I really wanted to see get a championship, obviously being biased and a Pacer fan. But one thing that they had that you mentioned, a ton of chemistry. They were clearly all in on winning a championship that season. How challenging is it to bring in two guys during the season, like an Evan Turner and Andrew Bynum, midseason and get them acclimated with the team? Oh, I think it's, it's always challenging whenever you have any kind of a player movement. I mean, that's, that's just some, some, sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't, you know, and, and I think we, they were good. It was a good move. I think they, you can't deny Evan Turner and Bynum and, you know, all the moves that were made. I think you can't deny the talent. Um, you understand, and we all understand that's a part of the game as much as we love Granger. Um, but it's just one of those things, you know, that's the way the game goes. We're, we're all professionals. You, you got to be able to roll with the punches. It was unfortunate that, uh, that it had to go down like that and we didn't win a championship. And I love me some Danny Granger. And if the Pacers could have got him a ring, you know, that really would have been the ultimate because he had a great career with, with the Pacers. Um, but, you know, you were a part of that team when they lost Paul George just to that broken, like right before the season started. What was the, what did it do to the mentality of that Pacers team that was just knocking on the door of an NBA Finals? I mean, what is it? The Pacers are going through that right now with all the depot. But what is the locker room like when that happens? Oh, it's heartbreaking, man. I mean, uh, for for us, it's, it's you know, basketball is basketball. We all compete to win, but you know, it's a brotherhood first. You know, I think uh, we were really upset that our guy was hurt. You know, at the end of the day, it was bigger than basketball, and it was such a uh, tough injury. You know, we we're all concerned about his mental state, and um, you know, we all just wanted to be there for him as much as possible. And it's so so beautiful to see him bounce back. And, you know, shows the type of guy he is. You know, he's really. He's, from a mental standpoint, he's one of the toughest guys, you know, I've ever known, um, you know, to come back from that type of injury and, and climb as he has to where he is today. That's just uh, the, the mental part isn't given enough credit. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I, I couldn't be any more right on that. So you've obviously seen Paul George completely re, you know, rebound from that. He's having an MVP type year right now. Uh, I mentioned okay. it earlier how, Oladipo is going through a similar injury right now. It, the, the situation between those Pacer teams is quite similar as that's a great team that just is missing their star player right now. What can they do without Oladipo to try and you know get to the next level? Is the door shut on winning a playoff series without him? Uh, I mean, I wouldn't, I, I wouldn't say that. I mean, they have a, they have great uh, coaching, and um, Nate's, Nate's my guy. I have the most respect for him and, this, and the entire staff. Um, they have great pieces, you know. Uh, you know, Wesley Matthews. I mean, you can go down the list. They, they they have they have what it takes to get get some things done. They're just gonna have to really band together and this next man up mentality. That's that's how it goes in this game. That is true. That is true. And you know, after your two year stint with the Pacers, you'd go on to play for the Bucks. And you know, you're actually your former teammate, Jason Kidd. You mentioned just before how much of a, a great veteran he was to learn under. Did you ever envision him? kind of becoming an NBA coach that uh, at least that soon an NBA coach. No, my, I mean, an NBA coach. Yes. My NBA coach. No, I didn't see that coming, but Hey, how about that? That's how it works. It's just, uh, he's got the coach. He's got a coach's mind. Um, yeah, you could easily see him. Like if he said, you know, it's like him saying, I think I should coach one day. No one would be surprised. It was never one of those type of guys. He was one of those natural leaders with extremely high basketball IQ. It was only right that he'd be a coach. And I'm looking forward to seeing, seeing what he does next. Mm-hmm. He is a name that is being rumored to be out there uh, this offseason, maybe even with the Lakers. Who knows? But one guy that was on that Bucks team, Giannis. You played with Giannis when he was just coming into the league. How much have yeah. you seen him grow, and what was he like that early on in his career? 
Um, I think he's going to be one of the best players ever do it. You know, I've, I've said that to a bunch of people. Um, I've been saying that actually for years. Now the world's kind of seeing it. Like, he's, he's a different... I was, I was, I'm a mental guy. I'm always about the mentality of players and um, what makes them tick. You know, and, you know, he's, he's hungry. He plays hungry. He plays hard. Um, he's a dog. He's a real dog. So, uh, and he's got all the gifts. He's got all the ability in the world. So, um, and he works hard. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like he literally, he's a gym rat. He's in the gym 24-7. Um, when, I was a, when I was around him, I saw him going there in the morning and night, you know, putting in the work. So, you know, it, it's a, I think he's going to be one of the best when it's all said and done. I can't argue that at all because we've actually seen him improve in every statistical category every single year he's been in the league. And that obviously doesn't even mention the work he's putting on in the gym in terms of adding muscle. I mean, you saw him when his frame was a lot smaller to compare to what he looks like now. It looks like, you know, completely different person. Yeah, he used to be a toothpick, and now he's throwing guys around. I'm, I'm, so, I'm proud of him, man. He really deserves all, all, the, all the credit and all the accolades and things that are about to head his way. Um, you know, he, he deserves all the success, man. He's, he's, he deserves it. He's one of those few guys that I, I, can, I can really say, you know, Really, twenty four seven is, is dedicated and devoted to to his craft, and he earns all, he's earning all of his success. That's amazing. Now, speaking of accolades, uh, putting you on the spot a little bit, MVP this year, Giannis or James Harden? Who do you got? Oh, uh, I'm listen. I have nothing but respect for James. He's he's incredible. Um, what he's been doing is you know special, to say the least. I'm riding with Giannis, hundred percent, hundred percent. I'm team Giannis, man. I can't love, love James. Though. James is a good guy, and he's super talented. But I'm going with Giannis. That that is my MVP pick as well. So I would say just kind of real quick wrapping up your time with, with the Pacers over there. Can you tell people who have never been to Indiana, or you know, it's it's no mistake. It's no, you know, it's not a big market. Everybody knows that. But what can you tell NBA players about Indiana that might make them fall in love with it? Is there anything that players don't know that they would end up loving? A lot of things. I mean, it's, it's, it's basketball. It's basketball. It's a basketball state. Hoosier. You know what I mean? Like, it's, mm-hmm. it's the people really love it. It's similar to New York and, and the fact that um, people really know the game. Like, you know, it's, it's, if you're in a community of, you know, people that understand the game, it's, it's, it's a lot more fun to be around. It's a lot more fun to live. Um, part two is, you know, I think it's, it gets cold in the wintertime, let's be honest. But, you know, they have, they have the guys, you have, you know, some, some really, really nice lakes and things. It's, it's, it's a peaceful place with a great community of basketball lovers. So um, you'll have a great time there um, for sure. I love it. I love, I love it. it. So, hey, after you play with the Bucks, you'd go on, you'd, you'd sign in Turkey. But at this moment, can you tell the listeners about perhaps any projects that you're working on? Because the last I checked, you haven't formally retired. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I didn't hear that. You're breaking up. Was, Say that one more time. I'm sorry. I was saying after your your stint with the Bucks, you'd go on and play in Turkey. But can you tell us listeners, you know, what projects are you working on? Because last I checked, you haven't formally retired. Right. Um, I haven't officially decided to put the game that ball down yet. I'm working on a lot of things off the court. Yes. Don't want to put the put them out there yet. Um, I guarantee you'll see very very soon. Guarantee. It. Well, you know, we'll be staying tuned. Hey, Chris. Thanks so much for the time today. Uh, I really enjoyed it. And uh, you're always welcome to come back on Setting the Pace whenever you want. So thank you very much. Thank you, man. Have a good one. Have a great one.
What is going on, Pacer Nation? Welcome back to Setting the Pace here to talk all things Pacers basketball. I am your host, Alex Golden, and joining me as always is my man, the dashing, Michael J. Focci. Alex, always happy to be here, but whew, I can't lie, I've seen some better times and so have these Indiana Pacers. This road trip has been a rough one. Yeah, it's not been very pretty. Um, the Indiana Pacers have lost three straight games in a row. They've been competitive in all three games, but at the end of the day, they just can't seem to close these games out. Um, Fachi, let's start with that game in Denver Saturday night. Looked like they had a great opportunity, started the game out super hot. Then the, then the Nuggets had a nice little run to close the second quarter. Pacers were just completely flat in the third quarter. Um, fourth quarter, they're just going back and forth. You know, Denver had a nice little bit of a lead on them. Then Jokic gets double-tacked, ejected from the game. Pacers rally to get back into the game. Um, tie game, 27 seconds left. Denver comes out with a small ball lineup. McMillan calls a timeout, decides to keep Miles Turner out there on the court. So I want to talk about this after I go through the breakdown of this game. Millsap gets a bucket on the pick and roll involving Turner. Um, Pacers come back down. Seven seconds left, down by two. Bojan runs a nice little screen with Wesley Matthews. Wesley Matthews is wide open, and Bojan decides he's going to shoot a step-back three. It clanks off the rim. Pacers lose a game that they really had in the bag. Fachi, let's just kind of break that game down first off. That, that, that start... And then that collapse in the second quarter to give them more of a more of a lead. What what was the cause of that? The Pacers just kind of came out flat in honestly the second and third quarters. Uh, as you mentioned, the hot start over there it, it was great because the Pacers haven't always just started off you know great, but typically when they do, when they're up you know about ten points after the first quarter, they're closing those games. Yeah. Uh, and this was this was not an example of that. And man, to be able to go into Denver. A place where, as we were talking about, they have, I believe, the best record in the NBA at home. That would have been a quality road win over a team that is one of the best teams in the league. You know, still fighting for arguably, you know, the best record in the NBA. They won't get it, but they'll probably still have a shot to get the best uh, record would, in the West. I wouldn't say they wouldn't get it. There's a possibility. Yeah. Don't count There's on that. There's definitely. I won't, but that shows just how good of a win this would have been. And. I I love how Bogdanovich has played this year. He's been awesome. But I don't quite know if he's been ready to close games. You know, we, we mentioned the miss over here. Had the miss against the Thunder. We got lucky that Wesley was there to clean it up. But, man, he, he, we've started to give him some opportunities to close the games. I would love to, to see him do it um, because, hell, we need it. You know, without Oladipo here, I mean, that's the guy who you're, you're kind of looking to to get a bucket at the end, and it hasn't hasn't come through just 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 so far yet. Now, it's a shame to be able to drop that game, but you got to come out stronger after halftime. Well, we'll talk about it, but we had the same problem against the Trailblazers, the same problem against the Clippers. Our third quarters have been sluggish. You're trying to dig yourself out of a hole in the, in the fourth quarter, and sometimes you're able to make it close, but you just can't close, and you got to come out better after halftime. Well, let me ask you this: in that second quarter, you have a nice, you have a nice lead. I think it was up to almost 20 points at one time against Denver. I can't remember; it's been a couple of days. But 
No timeout from Nate McMillan while this whole run is going on as Denver's closing the quarter. I know that it was getting close to halftime, but when they cut that lead to single digits, you got to do something to try to break the momentum up a little bit. Not saying it would have worked, not saying that the timeout was going to change it, but Denver was getting hot, they were getting comfortable, and they they crept back into the game, and then we kind of looked a little bit sluggish. Now, we know the altitude in Denver does play a part in fatigue. This is a team that's played... 72 games now. We only got 10 games left in the regular season. This is going to be, you know, this has got to be something that they have to work on, obviously. But but like you said, I, I put this out on Twitter as soon as the game was over. I wasn't mad that Bojan took the shot. The Pacers are trying to put him in a situation where mm-hmm. he can feel like he is the guy without Oladipo. But no offense, I just don't buy Bojan uh, being the guy to close a game trying to attack with the ball in his hands. That's not his game. His game yep. is running off screens, you know, running off a pick and roll. It's not it's it's not one of those guys that's going to come out there and pound the ball and then make the move. That is not what he is suited to do. I don't think anybody really is on this team right now except Darren Collison, maybe Tyreek mm-hmm. Evans, and we don't really want to talk about Tyreek Evans. Oh, no, no, no. So, mm-hmm. so I would have like I said, if it was me in that situation against the Nuggets, I guess you go for the win because it's a long road series. You don't want to go to overtime. But at mm-hmm. that point, there's no Jokic. Getting a win in overtime against the Nuggets is huge, and it's a huge momentum builder for this team. I don't know why he didn't attack the basket. He could have attacked it. But what yep. I would have done is I would have had Collison come out there, run a pick and roll. There were seven seconds. You had plenty of time. Um, whether you want to use Turner as a screener or Sabonis, because they both played decent in Denver. Um you know, put one of those guys out there to run the pick and roll with Carlson. Take Thaddeus Young out just for that one play. Put Doug McDermott back in, who had been shooting the lights out, and he still has all mm-hmm. through, all Western. You know, all, this whole road, road trip. trip. Yeah, yeah. So have him out there with Wesley, with Bojan. Have Sabonis run the pick and roll. Sabonis is probably the best passer out of the pick and roll. And if somebody dives in to stop Sabonis on the roll, kick it out for a three. I can live with those results. But a step back three, when a guy was wide open, I'm just—that's not a good shot. And it's only, not. And and you're not Victor Oladipo, you're not mm-hmm. an isolation isolation player. I love Bojan to death. He's one of my favorite Pacers. But that is mm-hmm. not the guy I want with the ball in his hands at the end of the game. I'll set Carlson every single day of the week with the ball in his hands at the end of the game for who's on this current roster right now. Alex Collison has hit some big shots this year. He's been the guy where it doesn't have to be a game winner, but he's the guy who who closed he's closed out games. He's clinched games with just baskets when the Pacers really needed it most. Uh, as you mentioned before, Pacers were up 18 points in that first half against Denver. They had them. They sh- they should have won that game. They went 0 and 11, 0 for 11 in the mm. second half on three pointers. <laughs> it's uh. it's devastating. Because that was one of those, if you could have beat OKC and the Nuggets back-to-back games, that's making a statement with, with the as hard as the remaining schedule is. So that's, that's a, an effort, yeah, just a, a blown opportunity right there. You, you let it slip through your fingers right over there. And uh, as you mentioned, McDermott, he's heating up right now. And yeah. this is what I was mentioning a couple months ago. We spoke about it when he was in a slump saying if he could just hit one or two big three-pointers when it matters most, the signing, the, the signing this year will be worth it. And I'm waiting for that that big shot moment 
We haven't seen the Pacers give him the ball in those moments. I'm open to it because we're trying to find our closer right now. So uh, I don't mind, you know, in opportunities where, hey, if you're looking for a a shot, who's going to be the guy to hit it? We still don't know. So let's find out. You bring up a good point because McDermott played really well last night. He played really well Mm -hmm. in Portland. But they continue to keep the same rotations in. He comes in for Bojan. So they they put Bojan back in, even though Bojan has not played well this entire West Coast road trip. Um, he struggled. I mean, he didn't even look that good in Denver. Um, he looked okay in the first quarter, but after that, he just kind of plateaued. Against um, Portland, that was the Miles Turner show. I mean, let's let's just go ahead and jump to that. I know we spent a lot of time on Denver, but that felt like the game that we should have won the most. Portland had another great chance. Um, was that a foul on Miles Turner against Damian Lillard in the corner? Uh, it's a ticky tacky play. I mean, what, what do you? I mean, sometimes I don't know. I mean, what do you want to say in, in this situation? Sometimes Fachi, I want you, you to give me an answer, yes or no. I don't think so. I don't. Okay, there we go. I don't. Yeah. I mean, at times you've got to let the players play. You know, in certain situations, you you just have to. I mean, we we saw Lillard just hit. Big shot after big shot at times when the Pacers just needed to get a stop. Yeah, I mean, no. even even right before halftime, hits a big three. You know, in, in a game where you end up losing by eight, I mean, come on. You, you need to get those stops. So we haven't been able to close out the last few games. But historically, when Miles Turner goes off, scores above 20 points, the Pacers win those games. And this was a time where he scores 28. He even gives you the rebounds. I mean, come on. He had 10 rebounds. A, a great double-double. And you still can't get it done. It's it's rough. He even got the rebounds. That felt like such a jab, man. Yeah, but I mean, come on. Sometimes he gets three rebounds, and you're like, "Where were you? Did yeah. you know? No, did, I mean, did you I'm, play not, today? I'm not allowed to talk negative about Miles Turner. Uh, I get reprimanded from him by every fan in the world, so I'm just done talking negatively about it. But I will say this: this is a constructive criticism for both he and Sabonis. Sabonis is fantastic with his back to the basket, but his jump shot is just not consistent. Mm-hmm. The complete opposite is for Miles Turner. If you watch, they were attacking that pick and pop with him and Collison in that first quarter. Miles got hot. Portland eventually, you know, changed their defensive scheme up a little bit. They started coming out more on Turner, and then they were kind of forcing Turner to play in the post, you know, going up against smaller guys, but he just isn't comfortable down there. And, if he could just get a simple baby hook, a simple move in the post, just a go-to move, when they put smaller guys on him, when they switch like that, he could be so much more lethal down there and not just a pick-and-pop guy. He's good at attacking the rim when it comes to off the dribble, when it comes to crashing the offensive glass, but with his back to the basket, he just struggles so much, and mm-hmm. he just doesn't feel comfortable. It's kind of awkward. It's like watching a baby draft try to walk, you know? It's... <laughs> It's like it's like we used to make fun of Roy Hibbert when he would run, you know. Yes. But yes. But at the end of the day, Hibbert figured out how to get his elbow up, how to get that hook, and when it was going, it was money. And yes. So it was. I j- I just think that Miles Turner is really coming into, um, you know, this is a chance for him to come into a player that we haven't seen before without Oladipo. The shots are going to be there. He's going to have to attack if we play Philadelphia on a first round series. A guy like Embiid. If he if we play against you know a team like Boston, he's gonna have to make Horford come all the way out to the three point line and guard him because he's that big of a shooter. But he is bigger than Al Horford. I want to mm-hmm. see him get down there and just hit some 
little, you know, post-up moves against some of these centers in the NBA because that will make him the complete player. He's already gotten better defensively protecting the rim. His shot looks better this year than it has in years past. He just has to find it. He just got to, you know, fine-tune that post-game, and I think that we are looking at a top-five center in the NBA. Oh, he has, he has all the potential in the world. He really does, and, and we have been critical on him at times, but he has put together a, a pretty good year. We have seen many improvements, you know, whether it's just changing your eating habits to, to start the year, transform his whole body. We've seen his game improve across the board, but there is obviously still room for improvement, and that is where we want to see. I, I would be terrified to see him try and stop Embiid in, in a series. I, I think that that would be a very rough matchup. Would love to see that Horford matchup. I think that that's a lot. That's a lot more favorable. Oh, uh, quit being uh, scared no, of Embiid. No, I, I am. I am terrified. I'm not scared Alex. of Embiid. I, I don't sleep that good at night, knowing that if we're gonna play Embiid in the Sixers, uh, he's going to get his. So it seems more and more like that's not gonna happen because the Pacers are are kind of falling into that four or five spots starting to get close with Boston and the Sixers are starting to pull away. So yeah. it, it is getting, uh, it's getting more solidified of who will play in the first round. Well, let me ask you this. Are you accepting the fact that we will be the five seed? No, I want that four seed. I very much do with two upcoming games against Boston. We can still get it. Do you think that this team really can keep that, that four seed away from Boston? No. Okay. That's what I'm saying. So are you starting to yeah. accept it? It's yes, it's starting to set in a little bit more, but I am still remaining hopeful. Okay, so I'm just gonna say this: I've been I've been holding on, hoping they'd stay, you know, just motivated to prove everybody wrong. They need that four seed more than any team probably does in the entire NBA because they just lack a star player. And I was gonna ask you this question: and even if they got the three seed, which is not gonna happen, but let's just say they mm-hmm. did, will the Pacers? have the best player on the court in any series they're involved in. No. I know, and that's what sucks because this team is talented, but there's holes in the team for sure, and they don't have a closer. They just they have to figure this out. They need to ride the hot hand, quit trying to close the bullion every time, and just figure it out. And I wish McMillan would do what he did last year and earlier this year is just play the guys that are hot. If McDermott's hitting shots, don't put Bojan back in for him. Or go smaller and put Bojan in for Thad because Thad has struggled shooting-wise the last couple of games. Uh, maybe just give Thad a day off because he needs some rest. You need to get these guys rested before the playoffs. And they're not going to fall to the 60. There's no way that's going to happen. But I would not be opposed to this giving some of these guys some rest because there's 10 games left. They look a little tired. And you need these guys fully healthy if going into the playoffs. You can't have them fatigued. Well- a couple games ago, we saw Thad on the bench towards the end of the game, and they rode with Miles and Sabonis, but then we found out that it was actually Thad that was telling Nate that he wanted to remain out. So it wasn't even really Nate's decision over there. I thought that was pretty interesting. But uh, I would basically say after that final matchup against Boston, the last two games of the season are against Brooklyn and Atlanta. Things should be pretty solidified by then. If the Pacers are comfortably in that five seed, you got to rest some guys. You yeah, have to. That's a good point. Be, being able to have about you know four days off before the playoffs even start, anywhere from four to six days, that would be big. Yeah, for this team. All right. So, 
Well, we talked a little bit about some of the problems. I didn't get to watch the Clippers game last night. As you can tell, my voice is a little bit congested. Uh, so I uh, took some sleeping medicine to try to help me get through this. So you watched that game last night. What yep. were your thoughts on the overall game? Same old, same old, or just, you know, no Collison same as well? Old, same old, can't close it out. Uh, I I think this is the kind of game where having Darren Collison might have made the difference. But, I mean, week third quarter, Pacers come out. They try and, you know, erase a, a huge deficit. I believe it was about 17 points at one point. Um, and really just McDermott doing his, it makes no sense, playing so much better on the road than at home. But you couldn't get a stop at the end of the game. Lou Williams hits a big shot with about roughly 40 seconds to go. And then Patrick Beverly just absolutely makes Boyan look silly. <laughs> My God! Puts him, puts him on skates right on the floor and hits the runner. I mean, it was it was rough. Um, so just <laughs> Pacers just failed to really execute anything in the final minute of the game. Couldn't get stops, couldn't get any baskets. And, uh, and then that's, that's how it ended. Well, I, I had somebody slide into my DMs as a huge Pacer fan that likes to message me about Pacer stuff. And he sent me a few articles, but then he also said the Pacers have to get Patrick Beverly for their starting point guard next season. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I laughed and I said, well, he's on my big board. I'd rather you know get a guy that can score a little bit better than him if I'm yeah. really looking at who I want as a point guard. Maybe Kimba Walker, maybe oh, Mike Conley, sure. maybe Mike Conley Jr. But if you strike out on those guys... I'll take the defensive, you know, bulldog and Patrick Beverly without a doubt. Um, but yeah, so you know, the Clippers are a good team. Uh, probably the three teams they've played, they've probably been the worst team in all three of those matchups. You know, the Clippers, they have a guy in Lou Williams who can score off the bench. They have a guy in Danilo Gallinari who's playing his brains out. Montrez Harrell had a pretty good game last night as well. Mm-hmm. He's just such an energetic guy off the bench. He's similar to Sabonis coming off the bench, where that center really brings, uh, you know, just lifts that team's spirits in in a way. So, yeah, I mean, I like this Clippers team, what they've been doing. You know, Doc Rivers has done a fantastic job, you know, just coaching these guys up. So, you know, I'm not mad that we've lost these games because we haven't been favored in any of them. But without McCollum, that was a huge opportunity for the Pacers to beat the Blazers. Without Jokic in the final minutes, that was a huge opportunity to beat the Nuggets. Last night was a back-to-back without your starting point guard and without your starting shooting guard because he's out. Understandable. That's a game that I expect to lose. But those first two games were winnable games. And at the end of the day, these are maybe just, you know, some... Maybe the Pacers can learn something from this and say this is what we need to fix heading into the playoffs because they've got to figure out how to close these games better. And, you know, close quarters better, I should say, because they close and start well... But that middle part of the game, it's when they let the teams get right back into it. It's the NBA, I get it, but you got to do a better job. Yeah, absolutely. You know, you said it with the Pacers. It's easy to use the excuse of not having Oladipo, but when you go into Portland and they don't have CJ McCollum, there there is no excuse. And sure, we've kept all of these games close out of out of the last three. The, the most Pacers have lost by is eight. There is no awards or pats on the back for keeping it close. When when there's playoff seeding on the line, yeah. so simply done. You got to close out games. You stop trying to dig yourself out of holes, and if you have a lead, you got to keep it. All right, Fachi, you have anything else you want to say before we wrap this up? Uh, what can we do to get a win? Because we need one now. <laughs> well, we just got to hope that Steph, Clay, Kevin Durant, and Demarcus can't hit a shot. 
or they choose to not play. <laughs> All right, everybody. That does it for another episode of Setting the Pace. We appreciate all you guys. Follow us on Twitter at Setting the Pace 3 and make sure you subscribe on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating and a review and follow Fachi on Twitter at, at underscore Fachi, F A C C I, and I'm at Alex Golden NBA. We'll talk to y'all next time. Let's go, Pacers. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.